Well, I believe that to be true. He is worthy. Worthy you were, worthy you are, worthy you will be. And because I do believe that is true, I also believe that because of Jesus, I can stand saying, worthy am I. Worthy are you. And worthy are you too. Because of what he did for us and as us. So that's something to celebrate that he is worthy, but he's made us worthy. Can we celebrate that today, church? Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you guys go ahead and find your seat, turn to your neighbor, and just tell them you are worthy. You are worthy. What's 11 o'clock? I'm going to do my best to uphold my word. So I got 16 minutes right now. So you'll have to forgive me if we go a little bit over because I, I, I want to have a little bit of fun today, but I also want to really impact just something, uh, this thought that I think is incredible in your life. And so if you've been with us, we're in a series we're calling Eden. Of course, we think of the Garden of Eden, but really what we're talking about in this series is comparing our lives to that garden because Jesus himself said that from up out of us will flow rivers of living water. So we have the ability to carry Christ, to carry life into any arena and atmosphere that we walk into. And as we bring life, it can be like that garden. We can be like that garden to people. And so if you've noticed the last few weeks, we've been unpacking things that all start with the letter E. Week one, Corey talked about how we as the church are to be equipped to be that garden. And this equipping takes place when we understand our connection and union with our Father, when we rediscover our identity and what He says about us, and then as we walk out redeeming Christ-like culture. The next week, Mikey talked about that the greatest thing that you can do to be empowered is to align yourself with what God says over your life. And then last week, Corey talked about new covenant prophetic uh, flow, and that really is just uh, encouragement, right? Prophecy is strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So we've been equipped, we've been empowered, we've been encouraged, and today I want to talk to you about how we as the church are to engage with one another, with our communities, and with the world. And I'm going to be honest, I had, a, I had a tough time in thinking about, as this is a family service, what I can really talk about to get you to understand that you have the ability to make a difference in your world and how you can engage. And you guys know me. I haven't actually preached in like three months. This is crazy right now that I'm up here. It's amazing to be here. But you know me as the practical preacher. I love giving you practical application and steps to walk out engaging, which really is just showing love. That's what engaging with people around us, that's what we're supposed to do is simply to show love. And I thought about bringing some ways and how we can engage, talking to you practically about how we can show love, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that this week. What I want to do is really talk to you about how first we have to understand how much it is we are loved 
before we go out to show love to others. Matter of fact, the foundational verse for what I want to share with you today, and I got a whole story I'm going to unpack, but the one verse is this. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. This is what John writes. He says, we love because he first loved us. So we have to come to this understanding of how much it is that God loves us. We have to understand how much Jesus wants to engage and show love to us first. So this is going to be a lot of fun. I got a story that I want to share with you out of the gospel of John. You can follow along with me. It'll be in John chapter 21. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to get some kids involved. We're going to see how this goes. I have no idea, but I promise you, I think this will be memorable if nothing else. So John chapter 21, this is right after the resurrection of Jesus. He had already appeared two other times to his disciples. The day of his resurrection, he showed up. Thomas wasn't there, so a week later, he shows up again. Thomas is able to see him. And this just says sometime after that. I don't know if it's a day later, a week later. I'm not for sure. But we're going to pick it up. John chapter 21. We got quite a few verses to share in this story. Here's the thing. It's 14 verses. I'm going to read all of them, and then we're going to come back and kind of flow, and I'm going to get some participation to help me share this story in a very visual way. Is that good? Thank you. Uh, Verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, and two other disciples were together. So we got seven disciples that are in this story. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you, which, which is crazy because they just experienced the risen Jesus two other times. Peter's like, I don't really know what, what to do. What does this all mean? You know, he used to be a fisherman, so he's like, I'm just going to go back to go fishing. He said, so that night they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Everybody say breakfast. None of them, uh, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is such an impactful story. Matter of fact, um, I remember, I don't remember every message that my dad has ever preached, but there are a few, I would say maybe four or five, that really just resonate with me. And he actually shared something in this story when he preached maybe, I'm going to say 15 plus years ago that has still stuck with me and it really has guided me in how I understand how much Jesus wants to engage with us and I want to share that with you today but in order to really make this story come to life I'm going to need a little bit of help. They said there were seven disciples that met Jesus on that shore so I'm wondering if I can have seven volunteers, seven kids well, Jude, you're my man. You were first one to raise your hand. Come on up here. Odessa, you want to help me share this story? No? Okay. Oh, we got some volunteers. Yeah, so come on up. You want to come on up too? You want to come up? Yeah, come on up. Anybody? Yeah, come on up here. How many we got up here? One, two, three, four. Yeah, you two, come on up. All right, we got two more. Is this it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for coming up here. I know this is so, like, awkward standing before a room full of people, but you guys did it. So in this story that we just read, I don't know if you all realize this or not, but this was the only time that Jesus actually cooked. Because he's Jesus, everybody always cooked for him. He didn't have to cook, but this time he wanted to take a moment to cook his disciples breakfast. All right, so, so what I want to know from you all today, and you can be thinking about this, I'm going to go down and I'm going to ask, what is your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? And it can be anything, but what is your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? Hey, I know you. What's your name? Joshua. Joshua that's right. Joshua, what's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? Bagel. A bagel? Plain bagel or blueberry? What kind of bagel? Blueberry. Oh, yeah, that's my man. Do you put anything on the bagel? What do you put on it? Butter. Butter. That's my man. A little butter. You Hold on. Do you toast it? Yes. Oh, that, hey, that's like breakfast for me like three or four days a week. A toasted blueberry bagel with some butter. Dude, you're my guy. Thank you. All right. What do you eat? What do you, what's your favorite thing for breakfast? Pancakes and waffles. Pancakes and waffles. I'm sure you put syrup on it, right? Pancakes and waffles. That is an amazing. Tell me your name. Catherine. Catherine that's right. All right, Jude. Breakfast, what's your favorite thing? Anything. Waffle. <laughs> why, why are you laughing? Why is waffles funny? Why is that so funny? Because I, said to I didn't know which one I wanted. And then it was Fruity Pebbles or waffles. So she started laughing, so it made me laugh. Okay, I love it. So waffles, a little syrup. You like it? All right. Waffles, I love some waffles too. So what's your favorite thing for breakfast? Um, toast with jelly. Toast with jelly? What kind of jelly? Um, like grape jelly, raspberry jelly, strawberry jelly? Grape jelly. Little toast. You put butter on it first? Yeah. Little butter and then jelly? That's your favorite thing. You can eat anything. That's your favorite thing for breakfast? Yeah, that or cereal. That or cereal. All right, I love it. All right, hey, what's your name? Uh, Alice. Alice? Oh, you're very pretty, Alice. What is your favorite thing for breakfast? Pancakes. Oh, I love pancakes. Do you like them really thin or like the real, little bit thicker? Thin. 
the thin pancakes, oh, those are the best. Man, everybody has like the right answers, and we do not plan any of this, but those are some amazing answers. So it's Alice, and then what's your name? Demi. Demi? Oh, are you two sisters, right? You got to be. Twins. I was going to say you all look identical, but okay, I didn't want didn't to like throw that out there. So what is it again? What's your name again? Demi. Demi? All right, Demi, what's your favorite thing for breakfast? Donut. I like it. You know, Harrison has some donuts out in the lobby. He will give you any donut as long as your parents say that it's okay. Any donut you want. Is that good? All right. <laughs> Harrison said you don't even have to ask your mom and dad. You can just go get one. <laughs> His mom and your mom and dad can take that up with Harrison. All right. And what's your name? Susanna. Susanna. Awesome. So Susanna, what is your favorite thing for breakfast? I think eggs. You like eggs for breakfast? Okay, awesome. That's a kind of good, healthy breakfast. So would you like them scrambled? What, how do you like your eggs? Scrambled. Scrambled. Man, that is like my favorite too. Every, those of y'all that know me, like breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. I could eat it for lunch, dinner, and all these kids said some amazing things. So we have eggs and donuts and pancakes and waffles and toast. Remind me what you said again? Pancakes and waffles and a bagel. That's like typical breakfast food, right? So let me ask you guys some, one more thing, okay? I don't know if you were paying attention when I told that story, but do you remember what Jesus cooked his disciples for breakfast? What was it? Susanna. Fish. None of you all said fish for breakfast. Why? You don't like fish? No, you don't, no one likes fish? Well, here's the thing. It is, uh, it is before noon. It's 11-11. Um, so, guys, I'm not going to meet that 16-minute mark, by the way. But, guys, I actually wanted to show that I was going to be your friend today, and I wanted to bring you guys an amazing breakfast. And so, this morning, I got up early, and I cooked you all some fish. I got some bread and some fish sticks. Now, here's the deal. You don't, you don't have to eat these, but would anybody like some fish for breakfast? I swear I didn't think anybody. You want fish for breakfast or no? Oh, my gosh, you're going to do it. Let's go. Come on, give it up for him. Jude's going for seconds. <laughs> you just see Jude. So, come on, so. No? All right, you guys are awesome. I tell you what, find me after the service in the lobby, and I have something for all seven of you, but it's in my office. I forgot to bring it. Okay, can you guys give it up for them? You guys can go ahead and back to your seats. Jesus, in this moment, took the time to cook his disciples' breakfast and he made them some fish and brought some bread along with it. And, and there's something pretty incredible from this story that I want to unpack in just a few minutes. I wish I had time to go more in depth, but I don't. But there's three things that I think can really bring us a lot of comfort in understanding how much Jesus wants to engage with us. Because I'm telling you, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. If he wanted to engage with his disciples in this way, I promise you he wants to engage in your life as well. And so in this story, we, ha we have three things, three things that really stand out, and they all begin with the letter F. It's friends, it's fish, and it's the fire. You see, whenever the disciples went back to fish, 
kind of it speaks to them kind of giving up on everything that Jesus poured into them over the three years that they got to spend with him. They said, I, this don't make sense. Jesus is resurrected, but I thought he was going to come and conquer Rome and stand up like a general, and we were going to fight, and we were going to be able to defeat Rome and get them out of our country, but he died, but now he's resurrected and he's alive. I don't even know what all this means. I think I'll just go back to what I used to do. But in this moment, Jesus calls out. He says, friends, have you any fish? And this is so profound because if you think about it, he didn't say students. He didn't say, hey, my disciples. He didn't even call them his brothers, which they were. You know, Jesus is your brother, by the way. But when it speaks to family and it speaks of if he would have said brothers, we're born into our families. I mean, look, I, I know family sometimes tough and it's dysfunctional at times, but family's pretty incredible as well. But with friendship, he chose them to, to call them friends because friends you get to choose. So when we sit in this moment knowing Jesus wants to engage with us, yes, we're his brother, yes, we're family, yes, we might be students and disciples of his, but above anything else, we're his friends. And it's not that, okay, I know Jesus is my friend, he's my best friend, but I can, hear, but I can stand here and you can too and say, well, I'm Jesus' friend because that's how he looks at you. It's one thing to look at Jesus and say, that's my friend, Jesus it's another thing to know he looks at you and says, that's my friend, Shanik. We're friends of Jesus. The next thing, the fish. We didn't have time to unpack the entire story and the back history with this. But this is a representation of when Jesus first called his disciples. He was out speaking to the crowds. He told his disciples to put out from shore. They hadn't caught anything all night, the same as in this story, as in John 21. You can read about it in the beginning of every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or in John chapter 1. They throw out the nets because Jesus tells them to throw and cast your net out. They pull such a large uh, haul of fish that the net begins to break. And so in this moment, Jesus tells them, throw your net out whenever they're pulling these fish back and the, the nets begin to break and they have to really haul in there's 153 of them it's taking them back to the place of their original calling and i'm telling you god will spend the time with you to engage with you to bring you to that moment when you first were called by him and when you first understood how much he loved you he's bringing back into remembrance and then the third thing the fire and this is something that uh, i actually learned from my good friend reggie he actually preached this um this part of the story in this church, I think it was, man, five or six years ago, but he talked about how in this story we read about how Jesus cooked them this fish over a charcoal fire. And what's significant about this fire, there's only two places where this type of fire, the word that's used, there's only one other place than this place. Only two places in the entirety of the New Testament where this charcoal fire is mentioned. One of them is in this story. The other one is in the in this story whenever Jesus was arrested. The night he was arrested and to be put on trial, right before that moment, he actually told the disciples what was going to happen and that how they were all going to flee, how they were all going to run. And Peter gets up and says, not me, Lord. I'm going to be with you forever. I'm going to be with you even unto death. And Jesus looks at Peter in this moment. He says, Peter, I understand what you're saying, but before the rooster crows, meaning that very night, you're going to deny me three different times. Peter's like, I will never deny you, Lord. I just told you, even to death, I am with you. And if you look back in the story, we know 
that Peter goes out to warm himself by a charcoal fire. Here comes a little girl and questions that he had been with Jesus. Peter in that moment denies him three separate times. So with this charcoal fire that Jesus is cooking these fish on, it was a reminder to Peter of what he did, but it was a reminder that it had been forgiven. Matter of fact, here's how we're going to close. I'm going to get Tim to come up and, and help me as I close. We're going to finish out the last four verses of this chapter in this story because I think it's really significant as we talk about this idea of engagement. Before we can go and engage our world, we have to know how much Jesus wants to engage with us. Picking up the story in verse 15 of John 21, it says, When they had finished eating breakfast, so kids, they all ate the fish for breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Well, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt or saddened because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You see, we understand this to be the redemption from the three denials. Jesus is asking these three questions, and that's why Peter is hurt in this moment because he's remembering and he's finally coming to his senses. And he's like, in this moment, Jesus is engaging with me still and still sees value and still sees purpose in my life. But there's also more going on here because what you don't see, we just read this in English. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. But there are different words that are used. There's a matter of fact, four different words for love in the Greek language, but here two of them are used. Matter of fact, Jesus starts by saying, Peter, do you agape me? Unconditionally love me. Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you, a brotherly friendship type of love. Second time, Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, well, yes, Lord, you know I do. I phileo, brotherly love you. And then this third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter says, yes, Lord. You know all things. You know that I phileo you. And in this moment, we see Jesus coming down to Peter's level to say, look, if this all that you have to offer right now, I'll take it. Because I... I see something amazing in you. Matter of fact, I've seen it since day one in the story. He's called Simon Peter. Simon was his first given name, and it means shifty and shaky. But Jesus says, you will be called Peter, solid. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And Peter was going to be involved in this all along the way. And yes, Peter, at times he wavered, but Jesus still saw him as the rock. And in this moment, Jesus was engaging with him right where he was at. And I want to tell you right now, he'll engage with you, regardless of your past, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of what you've been through, regardless of your behavior, regardless of what you've done. It does not matter to God because he sees you as his beloved child, someone that he adores and cares for. And if we finish out this story, Verse 18, just two more verses. It says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, 
and went where you wanted, but when you were old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And here's an important transition I want you to get this morning. Because in the beginning, when Jesus first called Peter, he says, Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. He didn't say that here. He didn't say, follow me and I'll continue to make you a fisher of men. You see, there was a process of learning from Jesus. But in this moment of restoration, the transition from fisherman to shepherd took place. That's what Peter was to follow in modeling Jesus. Because later on, Peter, as he's writing his letter, he actually is writing to people who were the church and he calls them to shepherd and to love the flock, the sheep, the lambs. And he's remembering this moment. So Peter went from fisherman to shepherd. And I'm here to tell you that we are all shepherds in the new covenant kingdom. We're called to love and engage with people. And the Spirit's going to show you specific ways and how to show love, to be kind, right? Because love is patient and kind. Scripture tells us that. Spirit's going to show you specific ways to do that. But I want you to know that you're able to do that with the Spirit operating in your life, we love because He first loved us. And I hope you were blessed and saw that in this story this morning. I hope that in this moment, you're able to allow Jesus to engage with you right where you're at. Would you pray for me or pray with me? I do need prayer, so pray for me. Father, I just pray right now that that we would see how much you do truly love us, that you want to engage with us, you want to equip us and empower us, that you're consistently encouraging us because you see, you see us for our authentic true self and you see us as good. I pray that we would continue to engage with our families, to show them you, I pray that we would engage with our coworkers. I pray that we would engage with people just maybe we don't even know. I pray that we would engage with our community like never before. And it's not from a place of striving. It's not from a place where we see people as assignments. It's from a place that we see people for who they truly are and their true identity. And we're calling that forth. And we're going to call it forth through the way that we love them. And that's what we're called to do. That's what you commanded us to do. And I pray that we walk confidently in that commandment from this day forward. And it's in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you were encouraged today. Thank you for being graceful, for giving me that extra nine minutes. I needed that time. But at this time, what we're going to do is we're going to head out to the lobby. Like I said, we have pizzas for everybody. I encourage everybody to at least just grab one slice. And then if you're still hungry, come back for more. Actually, I'm so encouraged by the turnout today. This is like a spring break Sunday, which usually people are traveling and busy and things going on. I get that, but you decided to come. And so I'm so thankful that you decided to engage with us here at Hill City this morning. We also have games for the kids. Make sure they're at least somewhat supervised. we got a lot of people in our lobby this morning, um, but I just really am going to be encouraged by the time that we get to spend connecting as a family and as the body here at Hill City. And as you walk out these doors, one last thing to remember, you are loved and there's nothing you can do about it. We'll see you in the lobby and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you all.